Well, hello, welcome to episode 24 of the One Life Church podcast, where we talk about things from One Life Church, but ultimately things we think can relate to you and your one and only life. My name is Sarah Inman, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, co-host, and our lead pastor, As Nicholson. always, your friend. Yeah, That's right. I and I, friend I'm, I'm always excited about uh, the subject matter and doing these, but today I'm exceptionally excited you because are? I love the subject. And I love who we're interviewing. So cool. You're just saying that because I'm sitting here. (laughs) I I I am. That's right. If you weren't sitting there, say something completely different. No, deep sincerity on that one. Oh, awesome. And well, yeah, we'll go ahead and introduce. We're joined today by Braxton Hunter. And um, there's a list of things I want to kind of just tell you who Braxton is, and I'll let him talk a little bit about those things as well. But he's the president of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary here in Evansville. Um, and you can find out information about uh, Trinity College, which is trinitysem.edu or trinitysem.edu. Um, he's a professor of apologetics. He's engaged in several live, moderated academic debates on theological issues and the evidence for the truth of Christianity, which you just was in a recent debate. We'll talk about that on the podcast today. Um, holds a bachelor's degree in expository preaching, a master's degree in theology, a PhD in Christian apologetics, and you're currently working on a... It's a DMIN, Doctor okay. of Ministry degree, and uh, my dissertation has been accepted, and it will be on apologetics and discipleship. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds fun. <laughs> well, the process isn't that fun. Right. But the okay, subject yeah. matter sounds is fun. fun for everybody <laughs> else. Once you're fun, done, yeah. we can <laughs> read the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also author of multiple books, and you also host a podcast called Trinity Radio. You guys can find that um, by searching anywhere for Trinity Radio or YouTube.com slash Braxton Hunter. That's right. You yeah. nailed it. Awesome. And then in general, like we always want to just get to know people kind of who are on the podcast, kind of anything about you that's interesting or anything. You just want to let people know who you are. Yeah. So uh, first of all, I'll probably turn a lot of people off with this. I don't watch very many sports ball games. Oh. Um, I <laughs> love theology, apologetics, evangelism. So uh, that's what I geek out over. Now, I uh, do love some pop culture things. I'm a big U2 fan, and I think I'm not the only one at the table. Isn't that right? That's right. I don't <laughs> think I'm a biggest fan as you are, but it would be saw the last tour, right? No, I, which I've saw the I've Joshua seen, Tree tour. I've the, seen every the, tour the, since. 1996. That's what I mean. I've seen them once. You've <laughs> yes. seen every tour. Okay, yeah. 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 So you're, you're you're way above the gray. But yeah, I'm a fan, but not quite on that geek out level. Yeah, big Star Wars fan. Uh, big fan of C.S. Lewis, Christian fiction, uh, and as well as uh, well, he's just my favorite author all author all around. So um, that's a little bit about who I am. I've got two daughters, uh, six, or eight and ten years old, and they are Jacqueline and Joe Lee, and my wife is Sarah, and we are happy Evansvillians. And he lives, little trivia here, he lives in the same <laughs> retirement community yes. that I do. That's what I always call really? it, but he does. He he moved in just a little while after I moved in, and so we both yeah. live in this this place that our condominiums where yeah. we're surrounded by um, some that are elder, our elders and yeah, it's good. You guys should get our like neighbors. chairs to just sit out and just, you know, talk theology and just have people walk We've by. We've done that at least once. We <laughs> have this so place cool. in in there that looks like a throwback. It literally looks like you got a time machine. You go back to the 1979. It's exactly there. There's this room <clears> there that they have and we've sat there and talked theology and we're yeah. trying to looking forward to, to more of that. that. We are. We're yeah. trying to make that happen again. That's cool. And he is, uh, and not that his requirement to be on here, but he is a, a one-lifer and now you you pop up. Uh, typically, you're in Henderson, 
but you, you've popped up here and there. You've popped up at East occasionally. Yeah, here lately so, we've started coming to East more right. often, probably because of where we now live in our retirement community, which is just uh, not too far from this Right, campus. it's very close so, to yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I know uh, you actually taught here at one of our services. Was that last year or the year before? Uh, I think that was November of 2017. Yeah, okay, last yeah. Year. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you guys and been taught our staff, together. apologetic staff. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, still, well you know. one of the things that I really love about One Life that really attracted me to One Life is not only just the personable guy that Brett is, but that I found a pastor who shares my passions, apologetics and evangelism. And, uh, you know, w- and we can talk more about maybe what that is and what yeah. that means. But uh, the fact is, uh, the defense of the faith, Brett will find ways to mix that into sermons in a way that feels natural and not forced. And I learn things. And so if I can go to a church where I'm not only inspired and have some incredible worship and my kids are happy, but I also learn something, uh, that's that's just that's a home run for me. Plus, a YouTube fan. See, and, a YouTube. and occasionally that, we've even played some YouTube. I, I think we, we've right. done that. Yeah, that's right. So that sealed the deal for me, right? Yeah, absolutely, that's, what it was. that's right. Well, you you talked about that apologetics, and I think it's always important to kind of um, give just kind of um, a little bit of background on some things people may not have heard that before. Maybe they're kind of still exploring faith, exploring church. If you were kind of defining apologetics, which I know you just kind of said the defense of the faith, but mm-hmm. um, kind of getting into that a little bit deeper, how would you let people know about what that is? Yeah. So, um, the term apologetics comes from a Greek word apologia, and it is used in the Bible in first Peter three fifteen. be ready and willing always to give an answer to anyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. So, uh, Christians are called, uh, that was a letter. First Peter was a cyclical letter, which means it was sent kind of in a circle throughout a geographic area. And so because of that, it wasn't just one church that Peter was writing to. It was several churches, which means this is something we kind of can see, not just as something that he wanted to say to those particular people, but this is something that Christians need to do in general. They need to know how to give answers when people ask, why do you believe this stuff? Why do you have this hope? And so Christian apologists will uh, give a defense. They'll give an answer why we believe what we believe. And throughout most of the 20th century, at least in uh, the American South, where I kind of grew up, uh, that, that didn't seem as obviously necessary because a lot of people just had this sense that, uh, yeah, whether they were actually a practicing Christian or not, they had this sense that, yeah, you better serve the Lord or he's going to thump you in the back of the head, you know? Uh, but and if, and if there is anything to religion, yeah, Christianity is probably, you know, the thing. But the 21st century is uh, the Internet has changed everything. The world has gotten smaller. And as a result of that, people in very rural areas are now able to just Google and see not only what Christians have to say, but also what skeptics have to say. And so that has made Christian apologetics much more important. We need people. I think we need every believer to have some simple principles, some simple ways of defending their faith. Uh, But we also need some people who kind of make it their a big part of their ministry to uh, be answer givers in that way. And so I always tell people, um, if you've never heard of apologetics before, if you listening to this podcast have never heard of apologetics before, you can be a Christian apologist, uh, a Christian apologist when you turn this podcast off, because even though you may not be able to, to give an answer yet, like hopefully I'm able to do, 
and Brett's able to do. You can be a Christian apologist in that you can be an answer finder for people. Mm. So when someone asks you a question, you know that One Life is a church where you can come. They've got bookshelves of books that answer every imaginable question that someone would have from another religion or atheism or agnosticism. And you can continue that conversation and say, you know what, that's a really good question. I don't know, but I'm going to go find out and we can continue this conversation. Excellent. That, I'm going to keep that in mind. You could be an answer finder. That's yeah, very that's true. Really and in some of our training, we say that to our leaders. You know, to, mm-hmm. you don't have to feel like you have to have the answer yourself. I and never be. And if you don't know, say so. Right. The worst thing right. you can do is try to improv an answer that you really don't know the answer to. Just be willing to say, "Man, that's a really good question." Give yeah. me a while, and I'm going to go on the search, and I'll find something because yeah, someone th- out there has answered it. Right. No That's question. right, and I think there are a lot of people who feel like, well, yeah, but if someone asks me a question and I don't know the answer, well, it'll look like I don't know. Well, yeah, it will because you don't. But you know what? I love I don't know. I don't know is one of my favorite things because I don't know means I get to learn something that I didn't have before, but also it disarms uh, any argumentative spirit that is there with a friend or a coworker, uh, because you've kind of validated their question and that's disarming. And so then when you come back, they're more likely to remain open to you. I, you know, when I was a young pastor, I pastored two churches and I don't know if someone ever taught me this or it just kind of came through by osmosis, but I felt like I had to be able to thump the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, even if I didn't know what the Lord thus saith about a particular <laughs> thing. But I've learned so now that up, yeah. I don't know is perfectly fine. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, I know we say that a lot in our student ministry. You know, a lot of times you get students that come up and they have a question and kind of that same thing. It's almost always, you know, the first one, something about dinosaurs or something, you know, just very, it, there's something that always comes up with kids and students. But um, but being able to answer that and say, you know, I don't know. So you can let them know, one, it puts, kind of puts you on a level playing ground to let them know that like, hey, I'm still learning, like not putting this expectation of like you have to be here when you're this age or that kind of thing. Right. So yeah. still kind of in the process. So it's always, yeah. yeah. So I remember good. reading a, a study, I think. I think it's uh, in a Nancy Piercy book. She talks about, I think it was Fuller that did the study that said uh, kids who tend to retain their faith, what they had in common, as opposed to those who jettison it when they get out, it wasn't that their their parents had all the answer, but, but they created an environment where you could ask the question. Mm. And then and the churches are kind of encouraged to do that. Just be a place where people can feel free to raise their hand in the back of the room and mm. say, what about dinosaurs or whatever else, yeah. and then engage with it. Uh, but the worst thing you can do is to create a thing, well, we don't ask those kinds of things and push back, because that will cause people to eventually go, what are you hiding? Right. You know, that, yeah. That's kind of how that works sometimes. Yeah, and I guess I would ask then, when did you kind of become really passionate about that? Like, was there, I don't know, a, a time of your life that you kind of just, it just kind of happened or something you've always kind of been inquisitive to try to be able to um, answer those questions that people ask? Or Well, so um, I went to a Christian school in high school okay. and grew up in Lebanon, Tennessee. Or I went to school in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, near Lebanon, Tennessee. And to tell you how conservative, evangelical conservative that area is, everything that Cracker Barrel and everything that Lifeway Christian Bookstore, the biggest Christian bookstore chain in America, everything they sell goes through Lebanon, Tennessee. So that's how <laughs> oh, evangelical wow. yeah, and conservative. Yeah. Is yeah. that right? The home of Cracker Barrel? Okay. <laughs> that's where it all goes through okay. a warehouse okay. there. Right. So I, I went to school in that area, and it couldn't have been more of a Christian upbringing. But yet one of my best friends from high school uh, began to experience uh, some things and and it led to a degradation in his faith to where now he uh, is an atheist and he's a medical doctor and um, 
doesn't feel like he needs God. And he became pretty antagonistic toward my faith. And it rattled me, not in the sense that uh, I began to seriously doubt, but it rattled me in that I wanted to be able to give an answer that I didn't know how to give. And so that began the, the interest. But then when I got into evangelism, because it's important for me to say, I consider myself to be an Ephesians 4.11 evangelist. I'm an apologist second and an evangelist first. Um, as you guys know, Ephesians 4.11 lays out several areas or offices in the church. Pastor and teacher is one of those. But evangelist is one of those. And an evangelist is someone who, uh, and every Christian should do this to a certain degree, I think, but an evangelist is someone who it's his specific calling and gift to go reach people with the gospel message to see them come to faith. And so uh, after I pastored, I went into a season of evangelism where I was speaking in different events and churches, uh, doing evangelism and preaching that way. And I kept finding that apologetics was really, really helpful for that. And so I've, I kind of affirm what another Christian apologist, Mark Middleberg, who is Lee Strobel's right-hand man, what he says is evangelism in the 21st century is spelled apologetics. And that, that's not necessarily always the case, but I think it, it makes the point. And so that, that kind of got me interested in it was that it helped in my evangelism. And uh, so real briefly, I would just say that one thing that some people get into is when they get excited about apologetics, they become geeks for apologetics and they can even, it can even captivate them. And this can happen with end time stuff. This can happen with people that are interested in the charismatic gifts. Any area of Christian study, you can make almost an idol out of that to the exclusion of just knowing the Bible and loving the Bible. And I just say, listen, apologetics is fun and it's exciting and it's an adventure, but it should have a focus. And for me, that focus is evangelism. You need to take note of that, Sarah. I <laughs> definitely take note of that. Yeah. <laughs> got, I'm uh, going to re-listen to this podcast. Take <laughs> extra note of that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And, and, and at the, and, and one of the reasons we have that kind of flowing through at one life is because of that thing. We want to help people far from God, trust and follow Jesus. And by definition, people who are far from God now, like you said, they can get on Google and they can look up answers that they couldn't get several years ago or they can hear lots of different voices yeah. uh, that speak to those things. So I automatically assume that there are people out there that have that and that's why it's kind of laced into what we do. Even the resources have been picked very specifically to have on display in our lobbies because I want unbelievers to at least know we've thought about it. Even if they don't agree, they can at least see, oh, okay, well, at least they care about this stuff. And that's why we say we believe you can bring your brain to church and that kind of stuff. Love that. Uh, I love yeah. that. Well, we, uh, you know, on that, uh, over this past weekend, and one of the main reasons we would have you here today was because uh, you did engage in a debate over the weekend that was particularly, it was kind of a, uh, a step up from maybe the ones you had done in the past, if I'm yes, saying that true. right. It's, yeah. you know, it was kind of just on a different level. Mm -hmm. And uh, give us a little intro kind of piece of what that looked like and who that was and what that was about. And then we'd like to follow up and explore that a little bit. Yeah. So um, I haven't actually even seen the debate or heard the audio from it after. Afterwards, but uh, so I, when, when I do see it, I may think, oh man, I wish I'd said that different or uh, I wish that had gone a different way. But um, the person that I debated was an atheist named Matt Dillahunty. And if, you, if listeners were to Google Matt Dillahunty, 
they would find thousands of videos. And this guy runs a, or is part of a television program in Texas called The Atheist Experience. And so the reason that I think he is an important person to be debating and to have these discussions with is because Matt Dillahunty is, has such a reach uh, there are there are much more famous atheists probably worldwide, guys like Richard Dawkins, who's probably still the world's most famous atheist, um, Sam Harris, who's very well known. Uh, Christopher Hitchens passed away several years ago, but a lot of people know who Christopher Hitchens was. He had, you know, he wrote in Slate magazine and just had a big following there. But Matt Dillahunty, if he posts a video, it will get over 100,000 views on YouTube and the show will be listened to by thousands. And so he has a reach that surpasses, in a lot of ways, some of the authors and some of those professors that William Lane Craig or some of these other guys will debate. You know, right. uh, and, so, and so this guy really is kind of an evangelist for atheism. And as a person who's an evangelist for Christianity, that's exactly the kind of person that I want to be debating. And in a lot of people's minds, Matt Dillahunty is right now the world's most uh, effective debating atheist. So that brought a lot of intimidation, frankly, when the debate was first booked. And I did a lot of praying about that. Uh, but the debate, I think, went really well. It was at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, in this really magisterial uh, setting. It was just gorgeous. And, uh, and I, I, I brought two arguments for God's existence and then a case for the resurrection because the debate question was, does the Christian God exist. So two arguments that God's, God exists and then a case for the resurrection. So I don't know how much more detail you guys want me to go into on that, but... Uh, no, that's uh, a good starting place yeah, yeah. for sure. And I want to nail down one thing is that uh, I, I think it's important, especially for those of your parents and things like uh, Matt Dillahunty. Is it Dillahunty? Dillahunty, yeah. But it, it kind of makes the case for, I don't know how many young people would be going and buying a Richard Dawkins book from Barnes & Noble or going on Amazon. They don't do that. Where they get their information and how they approach life is to look it up on YouTube. That's the automatic right. thing to do. Uh, and, and that's yeah. becoming increasingly common. And so you're absolutely right. And so uh, what your kids are going to be looking at, it's, it's the kind of stuff that he's publishing. And so I loved the fact when I found out you were doing it, I found out who he was, I was cheering you on because that's where this is real street level stuff that's actually happened in the real world with um, yeah. uh, real people who he is an evangelist and he's, I watched a little bit of him. It is hard to do if you're a believer because he's very bold and brash and smart lucky about it and the whole deal. And Yeah, I uh, should say that if, if one were to just Google atheist or, or put in YouTube search bar atheist, you will run into his videos almost right. immediately. And on his show, The Atheist Experience, I, I would never encourage someone who is new in their faith or who's not very well grounded in their faith to go click those links. Um, and there's a lot of profanity. It's a very aggressive show. Um, they have callers come in and, it, and they, they, they are very rough on some of those callers. And having said that, Matt is different in a live debate than he is on that show. He's oh, more okay. more laid back, uh, calmer, uh, wants to be, and especially in a setting like this where he knows he's going to have more Christians in the crowd, he sees that strategically as an opportunity to try to be likable, 
try to explain how is it that a Southern Baptist raised guy uh, who was training to be a preacher could end up becoming an atheist and get to the level he's at. So he tries to be very unassuming and very friendly in, in that setting, which um, is very different than his show. So oh, I, even, okay. I even asked him right before the debate, we were kind of chit-chatting and talking shop, and I said, so uh, I, I know there's a different Matt on the atheist experience than it is on in live public debates, so what are we doing here tonight? Is this WWE or what's going on? <laughs> and he said no, and in fact, the minute it ever becomes that in my debates, I just kind of shut down. So it made for a civil uh, okay, discussion, okay. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, because yeah, it is. There's a persona that he communicates sure. on his show that's a little bit, I thought, wow, that's, that's going to be I wondered about that. Too like just kind of like how you because I'm sure in any kind of debate and as you've been in multiple ones that can easily get to a point where um, it's no longer debate and more argument like yeah. you know how do you kind of I don't know what happens when those points happen because um, I'm sure it happens I mean very yeah. easy people are very passionate about what you're talking about yeah and it's not to say that in our debate there weren't moments where there was a little snark or a little, you know, but it was, but we had an understanding. One of the things he said early on was he said, if I end up offending any of you who are Christians, that's not my intent. I just have to say what I'm thinking. And, and you know, so when I got up to do my rebuttal, uh, I, I looked over at him and I said, I hope that you'll extend me that same courtesy because I've got to, I've got to hit hard on some of these things, but I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the position. And, and he, yeah, yeah. So, so it made for a, there was a freedom there and mm. even some moments where we were able to take up for each other during the question and answer from the audience. So that was pretty cool. Well, that's interesting. Now, so uh, kind of take us on the journey, especially from your own vantage point. You're going through this thing. And um, uh, was it a pretty big room? Or were there quite a few people that showed up? Or you know, it a it's a chapel, uh, George W. Truett Chapel at Baylor. And it's not a very big, it probably seats about 150. Okay. Uh, and it was packed. Right. But uh, it's, it's one of those places that is so... Uh, you know, just beautiful and, uh, you know, detailed architecture. It was, it was narrow and long and very, very tall. You know, okay. With so a huge is, pipe organ and all oh, Okay. This, yeah. So it's like, like this formal uh, yeah. feel to it. And, yeah. and uh, did you wear a suit? Uh, I wore, that's, I didn't think I'd be asked <laughs> so, about my style choices, but it is the day, it, as the recording of this, I, I, after it just the, came to me, I, I had to know. Well, this is the day after the recording of the Oscars. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was wearing a Macy's, uh, try, sport uh, coat, okay. uh, blue and black striped right. black pants and a white shirt, but not so, a tie. No tie. Okay. That was the, that was the critical <laughs> thing. I was so maybe the Baptist surf. It's a great question, Brett. I wasn't expecting you to ask that. That's right. I'm so proud of you. It was really good. Yeah. yeah we do edit these things occasionally. And that may get it out. No, 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 leave that. So in. I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to place myself in the in the in the place and seeing it go on. And incidentally, you did say before we proceed, this will be posted on YouTube. Oh yeah, which, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. listeners, okay, watch. So anyway, but you know, kind of what are highlights for you? Just kind of in you know, you did this, and I know I having talked to you before, you were you had nerves about it. I know you did. Sure. And I don't blame you. I would too. And I know every single one of us would because here is a guy that's prominent and he's done this a lot you mm -hmm. said he's done how many bit debates uh, it's like? more than 30. okay yeah. so he's done a number of them himself mm -hmm. he's schooled he's got this show so it's in his first rodeo so you're going into a thing that and you're on display and yeah. more christians there than not i'm assuming yes he did have some of his crowd there and frankly what made it a little more nerve-wracking was 
if anyone is familiar with certain Christian apologists, uh, probably the world's most famous uh, female apologist, Mary Jo Sharp, was in attendance, and as well as Lee Strobel's right-hand man, Mark Middleberg, and Frank Turek was not in attendance, but he was at the conference. And so there was a lot of people there that it made a little nervous. But yeah, it was more Christians than not. That's okay, true. so but you're still, it's kind of intimidating thing. So you go in and you said your basic arguments were this, kind of review that, but then also kind of give me some of the highlights where you think, oh, this is going good, or oh boy, he just he just kind of smacked me one right there. <laughs> yeah, so the structure was we both got 20-minute opening statements, then we both had 10-minute rebuttals, and then we went into the cross-examination period where each one of us gets to control the conversation. So I would question him for six minutes. He would question me for six minutes. I would question him for five minutes. He would question me for five minutes. And then we went into audience Q&A, and then that was the end of the debate. So uh, I brought two. I went first because I'm making the affirmative case. That's how it works in classical debates like that. And so I uh, brought two arguments for God's existence. I brought an argument. A lot of these debates, uh, people kind of use the same things. Uh, an argument for morality. If you know, if there's any real right or wrong, then it's kind of, you know, God needs to be there to be responsible for that. The design argument. Every Christian has probably heard somebody talk about the design argument that there's design in the universe, hence at God. I didn't bring any of those arguments. The only argument besides the resurrection that I brought that is kind of a standard argument is a cosmological argument called the Kalam cosmological argument, which basically says God's the best explanation for the beginning of the universe. Uh, but that was my second argument. My first argument, people have hinted at this idea. This concept has been around. C.S. Lewis even mentioned it, but I don't know of anyone who's ever put it into a formal argument for God's existence. And I wanted to bring something that was kind of unique. So I argued, my first argument was, if God does not exist then a certain kind of free will does not exist. But free will does exist, therefore God exists. And I don't think he saw that coming. And so we talked about that, and then the, the God's the best explanation for the beginning of the universe, and then a resurrection case. So when you say you don't think he saw it coming, uh, why do you say that? Did he, did he seem to stumble a little bit over that, or just kind of... Uh, well, in one sense, he couldn't have seen it coming, because... Nobody's ever brought that argument before. Right. Uh, but in another sense, uh, he kind of ha he's kind of prepared for the standard arguments. I've listened to enough. I've listened to all of his debates, some of them multiple times. And this kind of gets into your question of how do you how do you ramp up to this? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I know what he does, and he's he's never heard this before. So, uh, is, did he stumble over it? Well, we did have a back and forth about it, and. I think he stepped in some of the holes that I kind of dug for him to step in, uh, you know, and, and there has to be a certain amount of strategy in this sort sure, of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, it's not manipulation, but it is strategy. And, but where he really got pinned down and I didn't feel this way when the debate was happening, but multiple people told me afterwards was in that second argument, uh, the, the Kalam cosmological argument. Um, he just didn't understand. Now this, if he hears this <laughs> unlikely, but if he hears this, I, I, I don't want to be unkind, but I don't think he was prepared or understood some of what I was saying there. And so that, that went really well. The most shocking thing about this debate was the debate was, does the Christian God exist? And I brought a resurrection case. And my point was, if God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, then the Christian God exists, period. And he barely touched the resurrection. He said nothing substantive about the resurrection. And what that means in debate is that's called a tacit concession. 
Now, that doesn't mean that he's conceding it like, he, yeah, I agree with you. Right. But it means that because he didn't respond, that he might as well have said that. And, that. and that argument still stands. And so just on technical merit, I, I don't know how we could say that he carried his side of the conversation. Now, as for moments that he where he kind of you know knocked me around a little bit, I don't think there was any particular thing, but the best thing that Matt Dillahunty has going for him is what Christopher Hitchens, for people that may have been familiar, had going for him, which is he is an incredible speaker, very likable. He's the kind of guy that if that even if you're a Christian and you know that he's the opponent here, you like him. You just kind of like him. Right. You know? And so <laughs> right. that he was very good at that and probably scored plenty of points in, in that arena. Um and I knew I had to match that to a certain degree, and I don't know that I matched it really. Uh, I think if if I did well, it was on content, but uh, I did throw a lot of jokes in. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and some people thought uh, some people told me those were dad jokes, which is weird to me. Now that I've got a ten year old daughter, the jokes that used to be funny are now dad jokes. You know, <laughs> I had a guy. There was a young guy that reminds me, and this is completely off subject, but sort of. You brought it up. There was a guy that always sits next to me when I get up to preach, and uh, he prays for me, and and and, and he prayed. And Lord, I just want to thank you for Brad da, 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 and thank you for those dumb dad jokes that he tells. And oh I thought, my <laughs> goodness. Yeah, it did. I thought they are their dad jokes. What, what in the world is that? What does that, that even happened? mean? I mean, I, you a, know. now I'm a grandpa, so I guess they're grandpa jokes. It makes you even <laughs> twice removed funny. I don't know. But yeah. so a couple of those, yeah. honestly, I, I didn't mean right. I, you might have been shocked that it would go this way. But kind of the, a couple of funny moments there. I think I should retell. This was obviously a dad joke. So I got up and I said, I'm really uh, pleased to be here, honored to be here. I have nothing but respect for Baylor University, and, and I'm glad to be here with Mount Dillahunty. And I don't want to be too forthright in my predictions about tonight's debate. But if this debate has a clear winner, now, we're uh, by the way, we're both bald-headed and bearded. <laughs> so I said, if this debate has a clear winner, it will be a bald-headed, bearded man. That was dad joke right okay, there. But later, at the end of the rebuttal, he had said about the resurrection, well, this stuff happened in history, and we can't know. That was thousands of years ago. Who even knows what happened? Something like that. And so when I got there, to the end of my rebuttal, I said, um, so I said, look, uh, there are a lot of scholars who seem to think we can't know what happened in history. And when you listen to these atheists talk about history, it's almost like that movie Bird Box. It's almost like you th they think you got to wear a blindfold when it comes to history. <laughs> and if you take off the blindfold, you're going to catch Christianity or something. I said, well, I'm not Sandra Bullock, and this ain't Bird Box. <laughs> there you go. Good one. See? I wouldn't consider Culturally that relevant. But that's perfect. That's yeah. right. An another real quick, another one was uh, during the Q&A, someone asked this really sincere question of both of us. Uh, what do you want? Not what do you believe, but what do you want to be true? And Matt gave this answer. Well, it doesn't matter what I want to be true. It matters what is true and all that. You know, I agree with him. Yeah. But I said um, after that really sincere, you know, statement, I was like, what I want to be true is that Indiana Jones 5 is going to come out and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> but then I was like, ah, but ultimately, Good answer. I, I, agree yeah, with, I, agree right. with, I agree with Matt. It doesn't matter what I want. It matters what is true. Yeah, sure, so, yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. But, so. Well, now, a while ago, you know, Sarah did mention the prep process. And uh, it was, and I, I remember you had mentioned that as we were talking leading up to this. And, and, and it, was, it was how much? And what did you do? I mean, so the debate was booked in July. And so for about eight months, I have been preparing for this 
almost every day. Now I was in Turkey for a month of that, so I couldn't I couldn't do it while I was there. But but uh, aside from that, I, I pretty well every day, multiple hours every day, and that included. Um, here's kind of my debate prep. Uh, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone, but I read every book that I ever heard Matt Dillahunty mention, hmm. um, and I only ever heard him mention three. <laughs> So I read three books. <laughs> well, that, that, you got off the hook that way. <laughs> That's right. Good thing you didn't name yeah. 30. Uh, did, did, has he written any? No, he, he well, he's writing a book now called book. If I Were God. Oh, okay, but. good. <laughs> that compelling title. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but so, so I read those books, and um, then uh, I listened to every debate, made a list of everything that sounded like an argument that he ever made, including all the bumper sticker, cliche, atheist things that he would say. And I came up with my own responses to all of those things so that no, almost no matter what he brought up, I'd be prepared. Um, and then I also would listen to his opening statements in these debates and take notes as if I was in that debate. And then I would stand up and respond as if I was in that debate to see how and get the timing down and all those sort of things. Obviously, I had to write my opening statements and things like that. Um, but... Um, yeah, so so it was really, it was really a lot of a lot of pressure, a lot of memorization, a lot of working with guys like Mike Lycona. Mike Lycona was my primary coach for this debate. He's debated Matt Dillahunty, and he's been at One Life mm -hmm. uh, speaking. Yes, he has. Yeah, and, he did a whole so, morning session last year. Yeah, yeah, and he is unarguably mm -hmm. one of the top three resurrection scholars on earth. So it was helpful to have him since the resurrection was going to be a part of this. I, I read a lot of books uh, and and learned a lot. And so that was the preparation, put together a debate notebook that was about 100 pages. That was really helpful because things off the wall, like uh, somewhere in there it came up um, about faith and that you Christians just take stuff on faith or something like that. And I was able to say, look, faith within biblical Christianity doesn't mean believing without evidence. And so I said, faith is mentioned 226 times or whatever in the New Testament, the word pistis, and here's what it means. And even in Hebrews 11:1, 1, where it says faith is the evidence of things that, yeah, I, I was able to give a better translation. And so things like that, right. so, somewhere he brought up about, this was an interesting moment that where I think there was kind of a punch in the face. <laughs> okay. he, he brought up, he brought up, um, uh, he kept saying, all we have is, is, is copies of copies of translations of copies of the manuscripts of the New Testament. And he said that to someone asking a question. So I, I opened up in my debate notebook to a page where I had written some notes from Craig Blomberg's book on why we can trust the Gospels. And there was something on there on my manuscripts. And I said, you know, it's interesting because Bart Ehrman, who's an agnostic scholar, says there are somewhere between 200 and 400,000 discrepancies uh, within the documents that we have you know, uh, mistakes, differences, I should say. And I, I said, but you know, there's, since there's only 138,000 words in the New Testament, that would make you think there could be multiple possible meanings of every single word, and you can't trust anything the Bible says. But we have 5,000 manuscripts, and we have over 20,000 translations in European and uh, Middle Eastern languages. So when you plug in all the numbers, that comes out to about six to eight discrepancies um, in, in per document, which and and none of those affect doctrine. And when I said that, Dillahunty said, um, "Yeah, I mean, if anybody says we don't know what these original documents said, they don't know what they're talking about." And I was thinking, well, that had to be your point just a few moments ago. Right. Uh, so, so having that notebook that I prepared for really helped. So, 
it was a long process. My wife doesn't ever want me to debate again because <laughs> I heard his voice more than I heard her voice <laughs> in the past 10 months. <laughs> I did. I ran into you. You were having lunch. The two of you were right before. It was, yeah. like, it was Friday or something right. like that. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? They're out on a date. And, um, and she said, oh, this is nice. And he said, I'm thinking about the debate. <laughs> so, oh, man. Yeah. So you need to take her somewhere or something like that. Yeah. And I want to say, together. meeting you there, uh, this is not just me saying this because we're having a podcast for one life, but honestly, you were a big encouragement to me to know that I had a pastor who cared about this going on and was really interested in checking up with me. And and even you, Sarah, at church, you mentioned it to me and were yeah. interested in it. So that really meant a lot to know that my church was behind me. Well, and, and, it, and a lot of it's just because you're doing something that's very important, but it's important if for us and to us because we're passionate about being a church that's present in the 21st century and mm-hmm. what you're doing is increasingly important. I mean, it's and somebody and, and someone in our own world is doing this stuff. It's not just the scholars that you read about or that you may hear about if you do enough web searching or something like that. I think it's very important for people to know, and I want them to hear that you're also a normal person as opposed some of these apologists don't come across that way as much, uh, But and, yeah. and that you're here and you're present. Now, it takes a lot of stuff, and mo- most of us would be like, well, if, I, if that's what it takes to be in a debate, then I could never do that in a million years. Mm-hmm. Well, you're probably not going to debate a guy like Matt or some of these others. And I guess with that said... What would we said? There's the I don't know principle. Be the searcher. What would you encourage people in church to do? This is because they probably get questions from their kids. They get questions from coworkers that are the typical ones. What would you recommend at least to get that basic thing in? Yeah. Well, I so I think that there's a different question when it comes to someone who is new to the faith or maybe has a problem with doubting. Um, we, that's a natural thing, by the way. I think every Christian doubts. It's one of the enemy's favorite tactics against us is to make us doubt. And if you're one of those people that has that kind of a problem or, um, or you're new in the faith, I would encourage you just to pick up something like The Case for Christ or my book, Core Facts. I'm not, I don't make a lot of money off of that, but, but that's a good basic. Or William Lane Craig's got a book called um, uh, uh, On Guard that I think is right. good for this. And, and you can learn some simple apologetics principles that way. Also, just being a good one-lifer and listening to your sermons is good for that, too. Um, that was but, a good one right there. <laughs> Man, that was, that one but, on the list. Well played. <laughs> yeah. Well played. Yeah, so, so I think that's good. Now, for someone who is grounded and says, hey, maybe even without, you know, I'm not going to debate, but but maybe I've got a ministry that will involve as a in a personal ministry, you know, just talking to my friends, more of an apologetic awareness, then I think debates are a good thing. And the reason I think debates are good is because not to do them, but to listen to them is because you get the, what the Christian is saying encapsulated in a short amount of time. You also hear what a skeptic who knows what he's talking about is going to say in response to those things. And then you get to hear what your guy or gal says in response to that. Right. So you can learn really fast, really quickly. And ultimately, I think that's the benefit. Someone asked me, what's the point of this debate? You know you're not going to convince Matt Dillahunty to become a Christian right there on the stage. And they're probably right, but frankly, I don't take that for granted. I told Matt in the middle of the debate, I said, he said, I, he said well, that doesn't convince me. And I said, well, I didn't expect it to convince you, Matt, but I said, I'll tell you what, there's an organ over there, and we could have an altar call, and you could come to Christ right here today, and that'd be fantastic. But it's not about Matt Dillahunty. It's not about the other right. atheists. It's about those people on the fence, those college students, those people yeah. out there sitting watching. 
Um, so I, I think you can learn from debates and I think you can use them as a resource to, to share around and things like that. So I think there's benefit, but if you're, it, but if you don't know much about this or you're new to Christianity, I say, pick up a basic book like the case for Christ. And that's right. good. Excellent. It, and the people that were in the room, you mentioned Mark Middleberg and uh, Mary Jo Sharp. Did you get to talk to them at all? Or did oh, yeah. You, okay. Yeah. We hung out all weekend and cause there was a conference the next day that I spoke at. Uh, Mark Middleberg thought it was tremendous. Uh, Mary Jo Sharp is an incredible scholar and she's, and she'll tell you what she thinks <laughs> and she's, and she's become a good friend. Um, and she, she told me, she said, I thought it was fantastic. I thought your content was great. She said, you talked way too fast in your opening statements. And I knew that I do have a personal defect. Yeah. I talk too fast in general, but I also knew um, that for that particular event that I had to make a judgment call and talk fast in the opening to get everything in. But, but she, but she thought it was great. Everyone now, and some of the people probably were just because they were my friends, but, um, Honestly, uh, people felt good about it, and I, I hope good. that I yeah. hope that it was a good resource. So no one averted their eyes whenever you walked <laughs> up, like <laughs> like they do sometimes on Sundays for me. Like you can tell, what? okay, that was it. Right, it no. happens. It's okay. No, <laughs> and I and I went over to Matt Dillahunty as soon as we got done, still on stage, and shook his hand, and I said, "Listen, I've really come to like you over the past few months. I really like you as a person, and admire some abilities that you have." And I said it's meaningful and important to me to know that I wasn't too aggressive or harsh or upsetting to you. And, and, and he said, no, 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 I thought it was very appropriate and we'll do some more stuff together in the future. So I think that, I, th I think that was accomplished. Yeah. See, and one of our purposes here with the podcast is just people be aware. Did you, I hope people heard that because they don't—they're not even aware that that goes on. Because I'll admit, when I when I watched his his the limited exposure I had on YouTube, it was like <laughs> kind of ticked me off, you know. And you sure. Think, oh yeah, well this and you you because the format is he people call in and he kind of they probably deserve it, but he, he treats them a little more roughly uh, than he probably oh, yeah. did you. And so oh, it, yeah. it can be upsetting and all those kinds of things, but learning that people really do have calm, intelligent conversations and uh, can walk away and still have mutual respect and all that sort of thing. Most people don't even know that happens. And it's yeah. good to know we have an eyewitness to it. Yeah, man. Um, as I love that idea of just kind of thinking and processing for people who, because not everyone's obviously going to jump into a debate where maybe they're going to be like Brett and be like, I want to, but they don't know, you know, they want <laughs> to yeah, jump right. in and I'd like love to see that. elbow Let drop somebody. Yeah. Uh, that's what I, that's what I think of being your WWE finishing move, like a flying elbow <laughs> drop. I don't <laughs> know why. Right. That's, that's right. just what I think. Yeah, of. That's right. Good image. Uh, um, but also I, I do want to, as we kind of close out, cause we're kind of running here on time, but um, I do want to just highlight Trinity a little bit. Cause I don't think Thank people you. know a little bit about Trinity. Yeah. And so um, can you give us, tell us, what Trinity is. People have never heard of Trinity. Yeah. They know it's in Evansville. Um, kind of just, yeah, a little bit about it. So Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary has existed since 1969. And it has always been a 100%, used to be called distance learning school before the internet. Mm -hmm. And before the internet, uh, it was one of only a handful of schools that did that. And when the internet came about, they, we pioneered uh, that and, and and we're always kind of cutting edge with that sort of thing. And so uh, we're a non-denominational, uh, but but theologically conservative. Now that's a different thing. Uh, we're not talking about politics here, but theologically conservative uh, school that believes the Bible. Uh, but we have professors that hold different doctrinal positions, but but they're all 
orthodox. That means they're all really Christians, you know, and, and uh, it's a fun discussion. And we have students in over 120 countries. And so you might be in a classroom with someone who lives in Africa or lives in uh, some African country or lives in, uh, you know, London or lives in Mexico. And so you, it's a really a cool uh, a setup and uh, you can do it all online from you can wear your pajamas and do your classwork and uh, I think that's pretty cool and and a lot of people think well the only reason to go to a Bible college or a seminary is if I'm going to be what we might call quote unquote a professional minister but that's not the case we have a lot of people that just want to go to that next level and you don't even have to get a degree you can just audit courses and we'd love to we'd love to do that with you and you can learn how to do apologetics and if you enter into an apologetics or evangelism program I'll be one of your professors oh. so so I and I'm talking to you Sarah now oh, <laughs> yes. that's right yeah. But 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 really, um, I, I, I love what we're doing. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was what God wanted for us. And it's right here in Evansville. And so I think it's a great benefit uh, to the city and to the community. And right in line with our goals are right in line with One Life's goals. And so I think that's a that's a good reason for me to be somewhere like One Life. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, then I would wholeheartedly uh, encourage anybody to do that because it is very cost effective. It is available to, and, and again, you can get, there's all kinds of things, certificates. You can go the full on PhD kind of stuff and you can get, hey, I want to I want to get into this, but not on that level, uh, just as a part-time thing or learn. Very accessible, but very high quality. Yeah. And again, you can find that at trinitysem.edu, trinitysem.edu. Um, you can find out more information there. I actually pulled up a website um, not too long ago, actually, and was kind of browsing through it. There's a lot of great information on there. and Find out more information. But Braxton, thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of your experience. And hopefully you can now get some rest, you yeah. know, and just kind of enjoy uh, being home. And um, like, yeah. what are you, what's your next thing you're planning to do? You know, actually, I I do have to finish the DMIN project. So I'm going to be going to South Carolina here in a couple of months and do that. Also, I have a documentary about the seven churches in Turkey, uh, seven churches of Revelation. Those are all in modern day Turkey. And so that's where I spent a month last year. And I've got to go to Canada and finish up some things related to that project. And hopefully that'll be on History Channel or Netflix or something like that. And so I've got to finish that up. So it's going to be a busy year, uh, but I'm going to try to be at church, Brett, as much as I can. That's right. (laughs) We'll be watching. We know if you're there, if you're not. That's how it works. You can always catch up on onelifechurch.org or on the one like that. Always uh, catch Brett there as well. Brett, anything you want to give us uh, as an update or kind of what's coming the next couple well, of what's coming is we, we are, I, I think people are probably with this whole city series, it's probably the longest series we've ever done. I'm sure people are going, what in the world is it still going? Yes. It has three more installments coming, but we're trying to get more and more specific about what's actually going in the community. We're going to be talking about the, the neighborhood work. We're going to be talking about reaching the marginalized, how that works. It's always been a, um, you know, Christian people have a heart for that because Jesus obviously had a heart for it. How's it working in our city and real practical ways you can do that. And then March 17th is I'm basically calling it internally a vision day because that's when we're going to cap it all off and say, okay, this is who we are, what we're about, where we're going. All right, let's go and commission everybody. So the next three weeks would be cr- key uh, to really building up to the assignment. And we've got CityServe coming up that will be yep. the ne- necessary follow-up to that. Awesome. A lot, lot more information coming with that. And we will see you guys next week. Music by Ben Brock and Micah Robertson. To find out more about One Life Church, you can visit onelifechurch.org. 
or to contact us directly at the podcast, just email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org. 